Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. It's Judy. Hey, dudes, it's Sana. It's August, and we're partying real hard in the summer, uh, New York City summer. We are not partying. We are exhausted because we just <laughs> had New York, uh, San Diego Comic Con, and we're about to go into D23. You're going to Dragon Con, and then we're going straight into New York Comic Con. See, we're partying. It's the summer of cons. It's the summer cons. It's the summer of like fabulous weekends at the beaches. Not the kind of con where you like somehow end up with a lot of money. No. Are we? Are we attacking? You lose. A part of yourself <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a great year i hope you guys have been enjoying the ride and today we are joined by some lovely amazing ladies underscore ladies from the unladylike podcast unladylike podcast yeah um we were joined by Kristen conger and caroline irvin who host uh, a very lovely podcast that deals with being a woman being a lady in the modern age. Yeah, and they have some really awesome podcasts. I highly recommend it. Um, like How to Run for President, How to Be Positively Morbid, and the one that I really love is How to Wear Too Much Makeup. And they also had me on their podcast in an episode called How to Create Feminist Superheroes. And we talked a lot about, obviously, my experience here at Marvel, making Ms. Marvel, and also just overall, like, why it's important to create new kinds of characters, new kinds of superheroes. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the podcast is available now, so go listen to Sana on a different podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and all that jazz. Yes. So uh, let's kick it off and welcome Kristen and Caroline to the podcast. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Hi, Caroline. Hello. We are so excited to welcome the two ladies from the Unladylike podcast. Hello. Yeah. We're thrilled to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited because, like we mentioned earlier, you guys have very kind of similar mission statements to, to, to what we have, except you guys can be crass. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, I mean, that's so, like, inspiring to know that there are other fellow female podcasts out there, like, paving the way for, you know, women and men at home to learn about what it's like to be a woman and work through professionalism at all, like, so. And be, and, and be very honest and be very frank about the reality of it. So let's kick it off by asking you guys what, what does unladylike mean? <laughs> Unladylike means breaking the rules. Yeah, breaking the rule, the rules of gender that society and patriarchal values have kind of established and told women and men, people of all genders, like how we should act. And especially as to white women, um, being unladylike is really important because the very concept of ladyhood has been so wielded in order to kind of keep other people down for the protection of white women. Yeah, and so the concepts, yeah, it's hmm. sort of, um, it speaks to our striving to want to be intersectional feminists and actively and conscientiously reject all of the classism and racism and all the other isms that are just baked into ladyhood. Did you have, did each of you have like certain moments where you realize, like, I don't want to be a lady. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or a typical lady based on other people's terms. Like, did you have a, 
you know. I, so this is Caroline. I can say that I sort of never was a lady, and I think that irritated my mother to no end. <laughs> so I have, like, Kristen and I both have very Southern, proper mothers. My mother always wanted me to wear pearls, carry Vera Bradley bags, join a sorority at the University of Georgia. And I really just had no interest in any of that, not as a rebellion, but literally as just like, sorry, I was born this way of yeah. not caring. Did your mom ever accept it? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, literally still, every time I go home, she's like, well, I left a Talbot's catalog um, on the couch. If you just want to pick out an outfit, we could go shopping. Uh, so, oh no, God. she has not accepted it. I'm 35. Please, please accept it sometimes so I can see your Talbot's magical makeover. I just want to I feel like free clothes out of the deal. Just find the ones that are, like, the most Well, yours. I would just buy the clothes and then put it on eBay. And then, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Smart. So, advice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a thing to do when I go home next time. I would say that my moment, similar to Caroline, it was never like a conscious thing growing up of like actively rejecting dresses or dolls or things like that, but more of an ongoing awakening that really sparked once I was out in the work world. Because first of all, I was so angry having been like a really good student and like I knew how to get grades and I knew how to study and like check those things off and move through but no one had told me like okay now that you're done with school figure it out meritocracy yeah. is a lie <laughs> yeah. and um and one of my first jobs out of college I quickly discovered that men were being promoted just by virtue of the fact that they were the only like married ones in the department and it was strange and infuriating. And yeah, it, it was it was enraging because I felt like I was working so hard. And then the, the discovery that, yeah, meritocracy is nonsense, unfortunately, a lot of times <laughs> in the workplace. And so things just started snowballing um, from there. So Kristen and I were actually interviewed by this woman who was asking us about feminism, but she wasn't asking us anything that was really in a, of a political nature or like a social nature. She was very concerned that the feminists were coming for her makeup. And, and her high heels. And yeah, and, and it was hard to even get a word in edgewise because her concern was so like it was coming through the headphones. And I had to stop her at one point and say, that has nothing to you can be a feminist or not be a feminist and wear makeup or not wear makeup. The two don't really have much to do with each other. Do issues of like expectations or oppression or, you know, those are potential feminist social issues. But like, girl, wear your lipstick. I don't really <laughs> care. <laughs> I mean, you can look at in the 1970s during the, you know, the, the move to try and get this, the equal rights bill passed, yeah. yeah, women's lib, yeah. that women like thought that they wouldn't, couldn't be housewives anymore. I mean, let's talk about sort of like your mission statement and, and just the thought process behind these conversations. And like, what is it that you guys are looking to sort of unlock in your audiences and the, the people that you're talking to? Where does it all sort of start from? And how do you kind of really tackle each of the episodes? So our kind of guiding motto for Caroline and me is stay curious, build empathy, raise hell, because it feels like those three things not only have guided a lot of the work that we've done that led us to creating Unladylike, but we feel like that those are sort of the ingredients for getting people just questioning things to begin with rather than just accepting gender roles as 
well, that's just how I have to be. And this must be truth because it's what I'm being told. Um, and really allowing and elevating other women's voices on the podcast specifically because of the empathy that it cultivates when you aren't being told what to do. I think that's a major turnoff for a lot of people who are skeptical around feminism and gender equality. Um, but just hearing life experiences and what that can do. Right. And so when we started Unladylike, we wanted to move away from the process of only talking about issues or about people and actually invite humans themselves onto the show to talk about these issues. And honestly, like Kristen said, just their lives to illustrate the kinds of topics and issues and things that we want to talk about and hope to inform people of. But yeah, at the end of the day, we don't want to tell anyone what to do, right? Because we've been told what to do enough. We just want to illustrate these topics for people so that they can hopefully be informed, interested, educated, and make their own decisions. And we're also research nerds. Totally. So <laughs> selfishly, it's an excuse to just like investigate a lot of things. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was just kind of I was looking through just even like the list of episodes, all the things that you guys have covered. And so much of it is always like how to, how to, how to, of course. But this idea of kind of re-educating yourself on how to really be a woman, but how to be a human being and, and the lessons that you need. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's something that I you know, need to. And then I've sort of rediscovered and reeducated myself in the last like 10 to 15 years, you know, entering into adulthood, the, the idea that we sort of all need to kind of educate one another through our shared experiences to an extent, right? Like, yeah. I mean, is that sort of the, is that the idea is just sort of trying to say, okay, guys, we are in a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> we need to level set. <laughs> yes. And also, um, acknowledging, giving space to conversations that we don't feel like we're normally allowed to have. So for instance, right now we're working on um, a body hair series for our next season. Ooh. And the volume of emails that we've gotten from listeners just sharing their various experiences around body hair, specifically like arm hair, leg hair, pits, like a lot of these experiences that start in like early childhood and puberty where we like first discover this stuff on our bodies and become aware of it and all of that that's internalized mm -hmm. that like we don't generally talk about like there are feminist debates of course like every time the weather gets warmer on like do we shave or not shave what's they gonna do <laughs> um but just how deeply even just like basic everyday kinds of things that we live with really affect us and how we move through the world. We did a, an episode um, for the Women of Marvel. It was just the hair episode. And it was specifically about, like, different cat character iterations that we've had over the years and how hair has really determined, obviously, their racial identity, but who they are as individuals. And we had a great conversation specifically about just about, like, you know, it's the first thing that people see, and it also determines so much of how their own self-perception, but also how people perceive them. And the, the the second layer of that also is the fact that we're also dealing with creators who are drawing these characters. The nuances that you need to be take into account when you're actually drawing African-American hair versus Latina hair versus, you know, South Asian hair, Caucasian, there's so much to it. We're like, and we get so much feedback from fans as well. But like, I do think, I mean, it's fascinating because just like 
body hair issues. Talk talk to a South Asian or an, a Middle Eastern woman. Trust me. We have. We did. We, did. we got we did issues. Last, last week. Well, it's funny. I, so I love that you brought up like the different characters here because it's funny. I noticed that when you go back in comic book history – Everybody's blonde. Well, Mary Jane was super special because she was like the redhead. And that was like a big deal. And she was not like any other woman, not just because she was another redhead, but she was like really smart and stuff too. So, uh. I mean, obviously yeah. we all grew up in that age of like blonde is like better, blonde has more fun, all that type of stuff. Even me growing up, all of like my, my family, friends, cousins, whatever, they were dying their hair blonde. They were getting the blonde streaks because that was considered to be more beautiful but like you don't you don't realize how much you internalize that stuff and I feel like we're constantly trying to sort of break down and break down all of sort of these constructs that were kind of imposed upon us for years and years and years and it's it's a hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, of asking yourself, like, why do I even feel this way? Yeah. And then, so we talked to, with the body hair episode, we're, we're talking with one woman who, she really is in that struggle of, like, oh, man, I have always believed this one thing, that it's better and that it's more beautiful or more acceptable. But now I'm starting to question that and I'm going in the other direction. And just that constant juggling of like, am I a good feminist, bad feminist, good woman, bad woman, ugly woman, pretty woman? It's just like, like Kristen said, this stuff is like really ingrained in how we feel about ourselves and society. So it can be super hard to finally get to the point where you're like, you know what, I just don't care. I'm going to do me. But it's just like, there's so much media persona like that we put on ourselves because it's it's there 24/7 so the idea of the blonde woman in the in the early 90s you think about you know the the aesthetic of style and fashion and um, from like fingernails to everything and it's it's there and it's so hard to get away from it and it's pretty rare to see a, a, a film where like a woman has short hair and that in itself is, like, amazing. Uh, people um, listening to this know that I love Captain Marvel. And when Carol Danvers first became Captain Marvel, we cut her hair. And I remember being like, oh, look, I can I can be this person because she, I have short hair and she has short hair. And that's so cool. It is powerful for young girls at home to be like, oh, I, I don't have to have long hair. That's not a requirement to be a woman or to be a lady. For so long, we were expected to be this box, right? And now there's options for the outside of the box. But it takes a while, I think for generations to get used to what is... Because, I mean, only 100 years ago, it was a Victorian age. And as a woman, we were still technically property, and we couldn't own land. We couldn't vote till... No credit cards, <laughs> no bank Actually, accounts. Actually, 100th year anniversary of women's vote this year, suffrage moment. Yeah. Yeah, in June. Well, white yeah. women's vote. Well, yeah. that's true, yeah. But I want to take a step back for you guys, because I feel like we actually haven't heard... Where on Ladylike came from? Oh, that was going to be my question. Oh, wow. It's like great minds think alike. Yeah. You're so powerful. So. How you guys met and where all this started? Oh, we met in college. Ooh. At the University of Georgia. We were hilariously newspapers majors. Sure. Print. I don't think that exists What's that? anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Caroline was the editor-in-chief of the college newspaper one summer semester and I needed to, you know, start start getting some bylines. <laughs> so uh, I rolled up um, and in my first uh, like staff meeting with a newspaper, this force of nature named Caroline Urban walked in and was uh, very brassy. And <laughs> she, mean, she means I was cursing a lot. You were cursing a lot. And I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but it wasn't until after college um, that I had 
actually started podcasting, co-created another show called Stuff Mom Never Told You uh, that's still in existence. It's great. And Caroline and I reconnected. I'm passing the torch to you. Yeah, I uh, had... Meanwhile. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, over in Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters and pretty much nothing else, um, <laughs> I had been working at the newspaper and I quit with nothing lined up because I was miserable. And uh, yeah, moved back to Atlanta, reconnected with Kristen. And when her original Sminty co-host left, she asked if I wanted to podcast with her. And considering that I was working in a really unrewarding like temp job, basically, uh, I was like, yes, whatever this is, yes. Podcasting? Sure. Okay. And so then we did that for years together, hundreds of episodes, podcast episodes together. It was really just us spending each week diving into all of this feminist research and gender and trying to explore the world just through a gendered lens. And the more we got kind of just like sank into (laughs) us and the more that we, um, the more that we made and I think the more grounded we became in our values, the more we realized that we wanted to strike out on our own so that we could, I don't know, kind of more live the values that we were yeah. talking about on the podcast. I mean, every week, you know, we encouraged women to claim their space, to ask for that raise or whatever the case may be. And we finally, you know, look at each other one day essentially and are like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't own the media we're creating. We have kind of hit a ceiling creatively. So uh, basically right before the 2016 election, we decided that we were going to strike out on our own and um, write our book and start a podcast at the same time, which I'm glad at the time we did not know what that would be like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was it was wild to think about, too, because going into uh, independent, unladylike life, which also, P.S., our logo is a middle finger, which I feel like really kind of sums up. where we were, and really all of us um, at the time, but going into it, we were assuming that we were headed towards this totally different trajectory of like, yeah, we're about to have our first female president. You know, we're going to yeah. be business ladies. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> shoulder pad, shoulder pad, shoulder pad. <laughs> and then, and then it, you know, it, we know what happened. Um, and this urge, it brought more urgency, though, right. to the work. Well, I mean, I'm looking at your your the book that you guys put together, uh, and it looks awesome. By the way, very excited to kind of like look through this. But um, what was sort of what was the, your creative process about with this versus the podcast itself? So it definitely took us the entire experience of actually writing the book to figure out what that process was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Throwing so, stuff against the wall. Yes, lots crying, of that. Yeah. Oh, so much of yeah, that. I discovered yeah. my favorite place in my house to cry is in my bathroom on the toilet. <laughs> Good acoustics. L- lid down. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically like our process doing stuff mom never told you for years had been, you know, we two episodes a week. So I would take the research on one. Kristen would take the research on the other. And then we'd basically do swapsies on the notes so we were prepped to go in the studio together we kind of thought well we've researched for years how much different could a book be (laughs) um it turns out so different um and so basically we found a way to divide the chapters and the topics in a way we thought made sense fast forward and we had rewritten the book what 
18 times. Twice or so at this point. And like right before it was due. And this was the thing of like, right now y'all should just be focused on like copy edits and whether a headline is or a title is wrong or right or whatever. Uh, We got together and we're like, are you happy with how this is shaking out? I think it could be better. So then we rewrote it for the third time. Um, Our editor wanted to kill us. So essentially, short story long, we each took chunks and put them together. Sorry for using the word chunk. (laughs) (laughs) But what we set out to do uh, in this sort of halting process um, (laughs) that we finally worked out, we wanted to really provide a top-to-bottom life guide through a feminist lens because looking around at the books that existed, a lot of feminist advice books are solely focused on career or they're more of the autobiography and personal essays like Tina Fey's Bossy Pants and titles like that, which are great. But again, like coming from an intersectional lens, we wanted to meet people where they are at on all stages and in all of our many layers of relationships with ourselves, what we see in the mirror, but also like all of the patriarchy that creeps into our lives on Mm -hmm. the daily. And again, not wanting to tell, like, so we referred to our book during the process as a social justice self-help book. But again, like we never wanted to tell people how to live their lives, how to do things. But we really were excited about presenting historical context, rad role models, ways that people could dig into this information. I mean, you can open it up at any chapter and start. It's definitely not like you don't have to read from one to ten. But for everybody to be able to kind of find something in it for themselves and choose how they want to move forward and take action. We also have to give so much credit to our illustrator, Tyler Fetter, because she did such an amazing job without even any prompting at all of creating a world within the book where regardless of what you look like, you can see yourself at some point. And she just really brought that vision to life so much. And she has also a graphic memoir on the way. Ooh, Let me turn to that connection. page. To, oh, really? To the vulva page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fl- flipping through. I'm actually really excited because I want to get this for my nieces. I have one niece in particular who, like, refuses to wear dresses. Like, she is (laughs) – I mean, and it's great. Like, she knows her identity. She knows who she is. She's, like, 11 years old, and she's been doing this for years. But I feel like she would very much love this. And I love the idea of her saying, I need to smash the patriarchy (laughs) because she definitely is already doing that. Um, Well, we talk a lot about the concept of, you know, the the women of Marvel, as we've talked about, is sort of – meant to be a celebration of more sort of marginalized voices within the comics community um, and, you know, highlighting them and asking us to sort of connect with one another. But we've also seen sort of the negative aspects of when we do come together because then other people get mad about it. And <laughs> and so I'm sort of curious to know, like, what kinds of reactions that you guys have had to the podcast and sort of how you've tried to counteract that or if you just ignore it altogether. Well, so <laughs> when it comes to, I'm not sure about your experience with your show, but with our show, 
there's something about podcasting where if you want to hate listen, you have to really be committed. <laughs> you have to like really so want yes. to listen to something you hate for however long the episode is and then commit to writing us a mean email or a tweet or whatever. And so I feel like in that way – with our previous show and with Unladylike, we've been pretty insulated. That's not to say that trolls never surface, but I've noticed, for instance, on Twitter, people have to almost be alerted to us and what we're talking about to harass us. <laughs> on the flip side, though, I, I feel like there are a lot of uh, guys in particular are curious and receptive. Um, and one email that comes to mind that we got over the holidays was from this guy who basically wrote in to apologize to us because he's been following us for a long time. And I guess he had um, written maybe a nasty email or two to us. And he said that he still followed us again. It's like you're investing the time. Um, and apparently the message started clicking in his head because he said with, you know, I, I just wanted to apologize because I I understand now what you were saying, and I hate to think that, like, I was part of the problem. Um, yeah, I think, well, yeah, and in his case, too, he he specified that a lot of it was coming out of a place of, like, defensiveness, mm -hmm. that he was hearing what we were saying. Well, he was listening to what we were saying and hearing, you know, we hate all men, all men are bad, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, when if you really hear the things that we're talking about, it's really not about that. The stuff mom never told you message was not that, and neither is the unladylike message. Well, and even the message of smashing the patriarchy, which, side note, my mom did tell me that my dad initially, maybe still, did take a little personally. Um, but uh, it's a message not just for women and girls. It's also for dudes because all of the – like masculine constructs that are boxed in through patriarchy, those are hurting men just as much as they're hurting women too. So we we have had some uh, some dads who have written us explicitly to say that they've bought the book to read with their sons, mm -hmm. which is the coolest thing. I think the key though, to, to me, I'm underlining claiming your space. I think that's a very, because that can be in so many different kinds of forms. And I think the 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 sentiment there is sort of like really claiming your own identity and kind of and your definition of that right because I I think oftentimes like you talk about being marginalized all the time and it's like okay fine you're being marginalized to the point they're in the corners of every single space that exists but it's like all right I'm gonna freaking put my flag here and just kind of create my own space and try to see how how much I can widen it how do you guys you know, talking about sort of widening those spaces, what is the best way to sort of continue to broaden those relationships and create that sort of further that sense of community and the network that you guys have sort of already built here? I think it, I mean, I think it goes back to uh, the motto that Kristen said earlier, which I know that sounds cheesy to say, but but I do really think it's rooted in curiosity and empathy because that can help you find where you might want to go next. Um, that can help you claim the space that maybe you didn't know was there. Maybe you didn't know was open to you or available to you, or maybe it's not open and you just bust on in. But I think that that is a large part of building the unladylike community 
is just feeling like you're informed. And once you feel like you're informed and you know the context behind why things are the way they are, then you're better armed to burst into those spaces. Yeah. And and for us as creators as well, um, it might sound counterintuitive since we're podcasters, but listening more has been really important for us of actually wanting to step away from the mic in our process and hand it over to other people. Um, because again, like there's so much power in listening to people just share their own lived experiences that secondhand, you just like can't replicate that. Um, so I guess I'm saying listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think podcasting is such a great, I'm I'm, going to say new, but it's not new. It's this communities that have built out of, you know, anyone can listen to a podcast. It's accessible, you know, and it's it's created such interesting groups of people that like I know so many of my friends who don't really necessarily watch a lot of like videos on YouTube and all that stuff. But they they have like their podcasters that they love. And I'll be like, oh, man, like we had blah, blah, blah. come And they're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. But when everything else I do, no one really cares, (laughs) which is totally okay. I do not expect my friends to watch all my videos. But like I think it's created this great community of especially when you guys do live events and when we do live events it gives opportunity because we're accessible you know it gives opportunity for young girls and young boys to come up and ask questions or you know fathers we we always get a lot of great questions from dads and moms at at our panels that allow us to be real and have a real conversation what do you think is sort of the i guess the next big challenge for young women. Like I think like I look at like my nieces and I say, well, you guys live in a world where you can talk about like my niece was talking to my mother just about the LGBT community. And my mother is like this older South Asian woman who like has probably like met like two gay people in her life. You know what I mean? And she's amazing and she's very open minded. But like just the frank conversation she was having about people kind of their sexuality and sort of their gender identities and stuff. And my mother kind of listening me like, oh, but it was so normal to her. Right. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, they live in this world where so much has sort of been given. They've they have so they're so much more educated than even I was at their age. But I do wonder sort of what what do you think that next sort of challenge is for the next generation of women? Um, and what would your sort of advice and guidance be to them? A big think, question, I guess. I, know, <laughs> it's a big question. I think we're witnessing it right now in real time with the Me Too movement and the reaction to it. Um, and the power, first of all, that girls are witnessing firsthand of putting language to particular forms of oppression, which P.S. like, women and people of color have had to do and literally invent language to um, to claim their space. And I think that there will be more of that that's needed as um, the Me Too moment, in quotes, kind of fades and we figure out then what's what's next to actually not just call out individuals, but really challenge the entire systems. Well, I'm not sure about a particular issue, but several years ago, you know, we watched sort of the rise of like the Tumblrification of kids. You know, everybody's on Tumblr. They're able to finally find their communities, however niche those communities were previously considered. And 
I think a lot of people were very dismissive of that. You know, we heard people dismissively called social justice warriors and all, you know, blah, 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 kids these days, identity politics. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. But I mean, I do think it's so beautiful and amazing and inspirational to see kids who, you know, maybe older generations are very eager to dismiss, really take up issues that are affecting humanity. You know, whether it's the teenager in Sweden who's been a massively outspoken climate change activist or whether it's the kids in Florida who were leading the charge in uh, gun control activism. I think we I say we I just mean older people have tended to be very quick to dismiss kids and young people. But these are kids who have grown up as digital natives, as no strangers to politics being broadcast in all of their social media. And so the fact that there are so many of them who are not only aware, but are leading these movements, are speaking at women's marches. I mean, I just, it makes me feel good. And to bring it down, as I do. (laughs) (laughs) I think the critical thing for this upcoming generation of girls to really keep in mind if there's one thing that I can impress on them is to also take nothing for granted. Do not take gender equality for granted, any kind of equality for Mm -hmm. granted, because there are still um, so many like economic structures in place. um, And you just have to follow the power and the money and break it down. Yeah. Yeah. What I've learned is like, you don't know what is going to be taken away and how quickly it can be taken away. That's kind of the the, the scary thing of it all. Um, we did an episode not too long ago on the Equal Rights Amendment, which has been creeping its way back into politics. And that's one of those issues of not taking anything for granted in terms of a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, like men and women, equality, that's going to be like baked into our Constitution, Right. Wrong. No. <laughs> and we've been trying to pass an equal rights amendment in the U.S. for what going on 70 plus years? 1923. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Just, you know, marinate on that. And when people inevitably say, oh, well, we don't need it because we're equal enough. You, you can choose all your choices you want to. <laughs> um well, let's talk a little bit about um, Marvel. <laughs> hey, we're here. Yes. I mean, so how do you guys think we're doing? <laughs> how do you think let's we're doing? on the spot. Are we smashing? You're talking about this is like the the big one of the biggest quote unquote boy brands. Everything that we're trying to do for the last ten years has been to try to counteract that. So give us a, give us your review. I would like to. Well, know. I am fascinated by Marvel gender swapping. A, because it tends to attract people who uh, get angry about that. (laughs) But I just think it's fascinating. I think that Marvel has a really interesting history of, like, swapping out characters. And when they reboot characters, like, not shying away from completely changing who they are. I also think that Marvel has done an incredible job in recent years of just driving cultural conversations around gender and representation. Because regardless of whether you are in the comics world or not, like you can't not pay attention to the kinds of choices and very like conscientious choices that 
are being made. And so I think that even just those ripple effects have been really important. Well, it's been cool because we've seen we're, we're now seeing so much like academia covering comics and specifically, I think, Marvel comics, because I do I, I you know, I agree like in terms of you're talking about gender swapping, that has been so intentional for so long where we found success in. Um, against a lot of our characters, underrepresented characters, newer characters, minority characters, female characters. And it worked for a while, and then people would get mad. But then the conversation became, well, why do you need to give these characters their, like, why do you need to give a female character sort of or her own version of mm-hmm. a male character's, like, legacy. Rather than giving her her own. Yeah. yeah. Like, Ms. Marvel, like, you gave Captain Marvel Ms. Marvel, you know what I mean? Like, why do you need to do that? And eventually, we gave Jane Foster the title of Thor. Like, it wasn't, like, Thor Girl, or Woman Female Thor, She Thor, or something <laughs> like that. Thor. This should be the title of the She book. Thor is going to be. <laughs> I'm pitch woman, that. She Thor, Woman. Yeah, She Thor, Woman. <laughs> Female, She... <laughs> and yeah, and uh, like I can't wait to hear more about Riri Williams. Yeah, but even with Riri, actually, the creative process with that was, you know, when we were tr- thinking of like who is this character going to be? She's going to be the sort of the paradigm of Iron Man to an extent, but we weren't going to call her Iron Woman. Right. Like we had no desire. We had like kind of crossed the line where we're like, it's not. We just can't put sort of a gender qualifier and that's going to be the dis- distinction. Like right. what is the thing that is specific to her? I went back and that's where Ironheart came from. It was like, oh, this is her c- core of her identity is about, you know, her relationships and it's about sort of all this love that she has for all these people and it kind of comes from the core of, you know, like that's where everything starts. But I do think that has been interesting because like we we constantly struggle with – making sure you're elevating those characters, but at the same time giving them their own, you know, unique identities. Right. How do you see the, like, cultural explosion around the MCU coming back and affecting the comic books? Oh, well, it, it the last, I would say MCU is about 10, is 10 years old, and we, in the last 10 years, have seen a significant growth in terms of not just our readership, but just how varied and diverse our readership has become. And that's just on the comic side. Like, we have so many different parts of the company between animation and, and games and our digital media space. So they're engaging in different ways. So I don't think, I mean, personally, and I've gotten a lot of hate for this, I'm like, I don't believe that this is just a, you know, one gender brand. I don't think it's just a boy brand anymore. Um, just because there's so many different ways to engage with a Marvel story. But it's given us more global resonance. So we've been able to experiment a lot more and get away with characters and storylines that we probably would never have 11 years ago. I think it's really convenient. I think I think the coincidence of me starting 10 years ago and then everything changing is really... <laughs> it's totally... I think that's the commonality. I just want to You're say, so powerful. We Sarah. revolutionized it. <laughs> I revolutionized it. I'm kidding. But it, thanks for doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, it's sometimes... Uh, I, I talked to my mom because my mom was a computer science major in the 1970s, and she doesn't consider herself a first. She doesn't consider herself a trailblazer because in the moment... It's hard to consider yourself that because you put all this pressure on yourself to be great. And when you're not great, it's hard. And I think that women specifically in the, like struggle a lot with that because we're sort of prescribed to be all these things that we have to be. And if we're not all of them, then are we successful? And what is success? And But I, I think that you know it's only through 
just each one of us getting on our little little, little steps to a little podium and saying the one thing that we believe in that that next generation can then get on the bigger step stool and keep on going. So and then eventually we can take naps. <laughs> and then it's exhausting. And guys. then cats take over the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think the definition of success is naps. Yeah. yeah, really. I so agree with that. An adult nap is the right way to yeah. live your life. It is. <laughs> um, so one last question: What kind of advice would you give to young women who are trying to navigate sort of male-dominated spaces? I mean, a lot of it, I feel like, comes down to not asking permission. Um, even when you feel like a phony plowing ahead. Um, Move through the world with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Because honestly, it means you're going to ask for more money, you're going to take more chances, and you're going to go in less prepared than you feel like you should, and you're going to do great. Yeah. I want that on a shirt. Hashtag not all mediocre white men. <laughs> it is on a shirt. I think I think I've read that. That's great. <laughs> well, I want to just say thank you to you guys for obviously spending time with us, but also for putting, you know, I, I think often like there's social medias can be very fantastic. Digital media space can be great because you can create that sense of community. But also sometimes for young women, they start seeing images that might not be realistic, you know, when you start measuring yourself against it. So I just want to say thank you as an aunt of many nieces and nephews even for putting out content that is about sort of embracing your inner authentic self um, and being proud of it. So it's really important stuff. So Thank you guys for, for, for doing that. For those listening, check out the Unladylike podcast. It is fantastic. Where can people find you if they're looking? We are all over listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and you can find our home at unladylike.co. And you can find us on all the social medias at Unladylike Media. Thanks again to Kristen and Caroline for joining us. Um, make sure you guys go check out Unladylike wherever you get your podcast. Plus, go check out Sana's episode so you can hear her talk more. Do it. Do it right now. Um, we, As we said at the top of the show, we are heading into uh, a couple more conventions. Clearly, con season no longer is just in the summer anymore. It's all year round. Yeah, we have D23. Yeah, so D23 I'm very excited about. It is the expo that Disney puts up and it just showcases everything that's going on at Disney. Um, Marvel has um, some pretty solid representation there. And we have a couple of announcements um, coming out of D23 that I'm personally very excited about. Um, I can't tell you anything about it. Ooh, spoiler, something. So just make sure that your ears are perked up, your phones are on, checking social media, all the media outlets. Your Twitter app's open. If you're not, if you happen to not be a D23, which if you are, then hopefully I can say hello to you. Um, but check out because we have some news coming up and um, it's going to be a wild weekend. Weekend of August 23rd. Coming up soon, guys. So soon. And I will be at Dragon Con um, in Atlanta Labor Day weekend, uh, which is the following weekend. And we are doing a big smashing party celebration for Marvel's 80th anniversary on August 31st, which is that Saturday. We're, stay tuned to Dragon Con and Marvel for all the stuff that's happening throughout the day. But specifically, 
actually were helping organize a uh, celebration during the Marvel Universe cosplay photo op, which is uh, Saturday night at 7 p.m. at the Back Hilton Steps. And we're looking to have a couple hundred, maybe possibly 500 cosplayers. There might be cupcakes. (gasps) So Sold. Put that on your schedule. Uh, and if not, stay tuned to our Instagram and Marvel's Instagram for some fun, amazing moments with all the cosplayers. And then we've got New York Comic Con, which uh, we should hopefully have some shiny, exciting news upcoming soon um, as we will be returning. Obviously, Marvel will have their booth um, on the convention floor at the Javits. And uh, Woman of Marvel will be coming back with a panel, maybe another fun stage show. Um, but yeah, follow Sana, follow me on the internets, and follow the Woman of Marvel Instagram. I think that's it this week. I think we covered it. Yeah, it's we had fun. Podcast, yes. Okay, well, hope you guys are having a good summer. We'll see you guys next time. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>